Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher, with just above average looks, intelligence, and style, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to email the show, don't forget the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. That's professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your concerns, your recipes, your receipts, your random thoughts, whatever. Send them to Professor Liberty. 1776 at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Facebook Messenger, which many of you like to do, and I very much enjoy the things you want to share and talk about. All right, well, what is on the docket today? If we would like to use some law lingo, the docket. Well, today we're going to talk about, and I kind of painted myself into a corner with this from last episode. And I have to admit, uh, this show was difficult to write and to organize. Uh, This has probably been a week in the making. There's so many ways you can go with this, so many different paths you can take. So as always, I hope and pray that it is coherent and uh, easy to understand for the layman as well as the as well as the august scholar of our time. Hmm. Today we're discussing. The Progressive Amendments. Well, technically, we're only going to be discussing two of the Progressive Amendments because if I talk about this for too long, I tend to get cranky and depressed. So if we really were talking about all of the Progressive Amendments, that would be the 16th, the 17th, the 18th, and the 19th Amendment. Most of your history books and most of your classroom instruction would admit that these are the progressive amendments. Today we're going to talk about the 16th and 17th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And like I said, I'm not a fan of either one. Uh, The other progressive amendments, the 18th, which instituted the lovely idea of prohibition, was a doozy. And if there was ever a light at the end of the tunnel, if if there was ever any good progressive amendment, then obviously it would be the 19th Amendment, which granted suffrage to women. Any originalist or constitutionist will tell you that the 16th and 17th Amendments are like the one-two punch, the death blow to federalism and state sovereignty, if you will. We can also add to this To these two amendments, the Federal Reserve Act, which passed in 1913. Coincidentally, the 16th, the 17th, and the Federal Reserve all came into being in 1913. So if you're looking for the worst date in American history, at least politically, at least uh, constitutionally, it is 1913. Hopefully, like I said earlier, I'll be able to articulate why these amendments are so bad. Clearly, I'm taking a very biased view here. And, you know, I like to try to play it in the middle as much as I can, as much as my brain will let me. 
And uh, so today is going to be very, my opinion, very biased against all of this stuff. And because of that, I hope I can articulate to you why. Not just because I think so and stuff. And so with a heavy heart, let us begin the show discussing the progressive amendments, the 16th and the 17th. And let us explain their assault on our republic and on states' rights. I feel like we should have taps playing while we start the show. Ah, yes. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad when liberty is trampled on, states' rights basically lost. So sad. Anyway. Okay, so if you listened to last episode, we talked about early progressivism in America. And we discussed what progressive, what the progressive movement was and what the progressive movement sought to change. Now, remember, central to progressivism was corruption. Progressives wanted to combat corruption in both business and government. In regards to business, they sought labor laws, safety regulations. They wanted to break up monopolies, just to name a few. But when it comes to the government, they sought more of the D word, democracy. Progressives thought that the government was too archaic and too elitist. Sound familiar? Some progressives make that argument still today. Their answer to fixing government corruption was more democracy. Now, anyone who knows the history of the founding of this country, anyone who has an inkling of the thinking of the founding fathers, knows that this is antithetical to the Constitution. This is antithetical to American founding. The founding fathers, believe it or not, boys and girls, I don't know what your socialist teacher is telling you, did not think democracy in large doses was a good thing. I often tell my class, to the founding fathers, to the framers of the Constitution, democracy was a four-letter word. Now, you can hear more about the dangers of democracy in an episode I did called Dangers of Democracy. If you want to listen to that, go back to episode 22. Okay, so let's get started with the first of the progressive mem- amendments. And honestly, like I said, I don't know which one I hate the most. The first progressive amendment is the 16th Amendment. And let's read that. Congress shall have power to let... Wait, hold on, can I just stop? I'm, <laughs> you guys, the soapbox is going to come out on this one. Congress shall have the power. Now, in the Bill of Rights, have you ever noticed that it always says Congress shall not. Congress cannot. But here, in the Progressive Amendments, it starts with what Congress can do. Anyway, Congress should have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, without appropriation among the several states, and without regard to any census or enumeration, unquote. I just threw up in my mouth. Man, oh man, just listen to how this is written. Congress can lay taxes on incomes from whatever source derived. Wow! They can take it from anywhere they wish. Without appropriation, meaning without taking into consideration the size 
of the state, the economy of the state, the wealth of the state. None of that they have to take into account. Nothing, no census, no enumeration. Man, did the federal government create for themselves a blank check. This is like Senator Palpatine in Star Wars Episode 3 when he goes, Unlimited power! With the ratification of this amendment, the federal government now has a never-ending supply of monies and what easier way to grow and spend so that you can initiate those progressive programs than having an income tax. Right, ladies and gentlemen? So why was this amendment proposed in the first place? Well, we have to go back to the Gilded Age, where only a few men were extremely wealthy. So wealthy, in fact, that don't forget J.P. Morgan, the actual guy, not the company, not the bank, had to bail out the government in a financial crisis in 1893. That's right. A private individual bailed out the federal government. Wrap your mind around that. I'm sure senators weren't too keen on that imagery. Also, progressive needed more money to fund, like I said earlier, their new government programs and to enforce their business regulations. And we just talked about this in class, actually, uh, yesterday. Another thing progressives were for was to get rid of tariffs or to lower tariffs. Well, tariffs were how most of the income for the government came to be. It was a tax on goods. That's how the government got their money. So they said, well, we're going to lower tariffs, but we need money. The government still needs money, so we're going to have an income tax. And now, you know, 100 years later, we have no tariffs, but we've got 20% income tax, 37% income tax, right? So in class, we were kind of talking about, man, we really got a, a crappy deal. I'd rather have the tariffs. Would you rather have the tariffs and more expensive goods, but you get to keep all of your money, or would you rather have cheaper goods, but you have to pay a tax? So anyway, industrialization and the Gilded Age brought with it lots of wealth. And many in government thought that the wealthy weren't paying their fair share. Where have we heard this before? Historically, though, it seems that the income tax was also deemed necessary to fund the country's war efforts. 1913, you got to think, World War I is on the horizon for the United States. And this wasn't without a precedent, right? Uh, in, during the Civil War, Congress upheld an income tax to, uh, to fund the Civil War. And then once that war was over, the income tax went away. Hey, can we go to that? Well, maybe there might be more wars. Now, one way they sold the income tax was that they promised it would only apply to the richest among us. And where are we now? Everyone is taxed on everything. Just this year, the Biden administration passed a new law which hires tens of thousands of new IRS agents. Politicians want to tax every transaction, every purchase, every investment. Every time you get up, every time you get up in the morning and you bust your butt and you scrape a little piece for yourself, a little piece for your family, there's the federal government waiting behind you to get their cut. And that's one of the ironic things of American history. A country that was started with the idea of personal liberty, a country, a revolution that was started because of taxes, is now 
one of the most taxed people in the world, especially amongst industrialized nations, one of the highest taxed. And we have one of the largest governments in the entire world. And those two things are related, which I'll get to in a minute. They're, they're related. The money is what's feeding the beast. Now, if you haven't noticed, I hate taxes. I loathe taxes. I despise taxes. When you hear on the news all of the waste and the fraud the government practices with your money, with my money, it should infuriate you. One of the reasons I put off this podcast was because how much I hate talking about this stuff, because it drives me insane. The libertarians, though they can be a little snobbish and a little obnoxious, but they certainly have this right when they say taxation is theft. Today, the federal government rakes in record numbers in tax revenue, and it's never enough. There's always more funding. There's always more foreign aid. There's always more programs, more wars, more surveillance state, more, more, more. And it is all funded by people who get up in the morning and they go to work and they try to survive. And unfortunately, folks, the income tax is never going to be repealed. The power and the money and the influence afforded to the feds through the income tax is too good to be true. It's like anabolic steroids to a muscle. It's like heroin to someone who's addicted. This shot that brings euphoria. Through the tax code, politicians can manipulate us. They can influence to do their bidding. Oh, you don't want Americans buying that? Raise the taxes on it. Oh, you want, par you want parents to uh, have more kids? Give a tax uh, credit. What behavior don't you want us to do? Raise taxes on those things. What behaviors do you want us to do? Oh, you want us to have electric cars? Let's give rebates. Oh, you want us to have solar panels? Let's give rebates. And you guys know rebates are other people's money. When you get a rebate, when you get a credit, when you've paid X in taxes, but you get X plus how much back, that's somebody else's money, not yours. So the federal income tax, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is here to stay. It's here to stay. It is never going away. And every president will come in and they'll tinker with it and they'll give you a little tax cut or they'll tax increase, but it is never going away. And through the income tax, they're feeding the beast where our government was supposed to be limited. It is now huge and it grows every day. All right, everybody having fun? On to the next amendment. Yay, I want to cry. All right, what about the 17th amendment? Well, what does that amendment say? The 17th amendment says, the, the Senate of the United States, and this is just the first part, okay? So, quote, the Senate of the United States shall be comprised of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Unquote. The 17th Amendment allows for U.S. senators to be directly elected by the people of the state. Uh, Mr. Palumbo, what's the problem with that? Uh, I wasn't taking any questions, but thanks for asking. The reason this is a bad thing is because it's a direct result on the states. It's an assault on the states. Okay? 
Listen, listen carefully. Originally in the Constitution, the citizens, the individuals, the people had a, a voice in government through the House of Representatives. The states had a direct connection to the federal government through the Senate. So think of it as participation. The states participated in what was going on in the government through the Senate. The House is where people got to vote and people got to have their say in what the government was doing. So how did the 17th Amendment come to be? And I want to add that both of these amendments, like, like I said, 1913, they both went through, right? 16 and 17. Amending the Constitution takes, takes a long time. So these and both of these amendments ratified quickly. Right. So this is something that I guess either the campaign was good or is this something they wanted. But how did it come to be? Well, just this week, a gentleman that I'm going to mess up his name, his name's Hans A. Von Spakovsky. He wrote, quote, the 17th Amendment was the result of the rise of progressivism pushed by intellectuals and social reformers who believed that our constitutional system of government was outdated and needed to be reformed. It was designed to enhance the authority of the central government and expand the size and power of the federal bureaucracy that could orchestrate the changes needed, they believed, would lead to a new utopia, while diminishing the power of the state government's to contest those changes, unquote. The author continues with something in the very next paragraph that is relevant to our discussion, so let me read that as well. He writes, quote, When the 17th Amendment was combined with the 16th Amendment, which gave Congress the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes, in which was ratified earlier the same year, the federal government had the ability to drastically increase its spending power without considering the interests of the states or the effects of the sovereign authority of the states, unquote. Do you remember in our last episode, progressives are social activists. But remember the key that I added to the definition that a lot of textbooks, they don't want to talk about. Progressives are social activists that see the government as a crucial vehicle to bring about the change they seek. Well, this clearly goes against the Constitution as written, so obviously changes had to be made. The 16th Amendment gave the federal government an endless stream of income, bypassing the states. And the 17th allowed for people to choose their senators, bypassing the states. It's safe to say that the states have been written off, disinvited, erased from the map, wiped off the table regarding federal government and federal policy. Uh, Mr. Palumbo, what's wrong with the people in that state voting for their own senators? Isn't that democracy, Mr. Palumbo? Isn't democracy good, Mr. Palumbo? What, are you like a fascist? Are you against voting, Mr. Palumbo? The people do get a vote for representation. That's why it's called the House of Representatives. But the state legislatures, who are also selected by the people of that state, they got to choose who the senators would be. 
that meant that instead of senators worrying about campaigns and, and, and votes and pleasing the masses, they were tied. They were bound to the interests of their state, period. Today, money pours in from across the country to influence U.S. state elections. The senators don't care about the states. All they care about is getting votes. Do you think massive programs like Obamacare would have passed if we were still under original construction of the Senate? It barely passed now. They had to do all this rigmarole and all these, you know, uh, parliamentary tricks. Maybe you guys remember the Husker kickback. What was that? The Corn Husker kickback, Iowa. They had to bribe a senator so he would vote for it, right? And no one was caring about the economies of their state, the finances of their state, the demographics of their state. Senators sell out their states all the time because they don't work for the states. They work for the people. Just, they just, they're politicians. All they got to do is convince enough idiots in their state that they're the best guy or gal, and they win. Mark Levin, in his Liberty Amendments, says, quote, more than half of all the states, 27, joined in federal litigation to overturn the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Yet the law was passed in the Senate by a large majority of 60 votes. So what is he saying here? Levin is pointing out this conundrum. How does legislation, oh, I'm sorry, I mean litigation, put forth by 27 states, which would be 54 senators, that same legislation passes the Senate with 60 votes. Clearly, the Senate, shaped by the 17th Amendment, isn't faithfully representing the states from which they come. The best way I can share this in today's race, right? We're having an election soon in less than 30 days. Look at Pennsylvania. They have a guy, they have a Democrat there. I think his name's what, John Fetterman. I'm not really following the news that much. But I guess it's been told that John Fetterman has had a stroke. This is fact. And ever since his stroke, he is mentally diminished. But the guy's still running. Now, do you think if we didn't have the 17th Amendment that the state legislature would put this guy in the Senate to represent them? No, he's 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 stroked. He, he's mentally diminished. And yet, because of direct election and democracy, this guy could win. And then Pennsylvania gets a stroked senator. Is that a word stroked? Let me leave you with this statement from Levin from his Liberty Amendments, a great book if you want to read more about this. He writes, the long silence of the states had begun. The states no longer had a legislative venue or any venue to directly influence the course of the federal government. This contributed significantly to the dismantlement of states' traditional and exclusive areas of governing responsibility. As a result, today the federal government fills whatever areas of government and even society it chooses. State sovereignty exists mostly at the will of the federal government. The federal government's limited nature under the Constitution was transmuted into the kind of decentralized power structure the framers worked so diligently 
to thwart. So there you have it, folks, the 16th and 17th Amendment, the one-two punch to federalism and state sovereignty. Many of our economic woes, many of our governmental woes, if you throw in the Federal Reserve Act, many of these issues we have today are because of the 16th, the 17th, and the Federal Reserve. So next time someone says the Constitution is archaic, or it's outdated, or it needs to be changed, be careful. Who knows what unintended consequences there might be. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple iTunes and give me a five-star rating. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.